Hello and welcome to the 14th episode of Lights, Camera, Ulysses, the premier podcast on all things Joyce and Cinema. This is your host, Robert Kraut, and I'm recording today from the Hollis Street Maternity Ward. Just a quick shout out to the sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Callan Midwife Services. If you choose to bestow the curse of consciousness onto a child, Callan Midwife Services has you covered with 24-7 care that meets all of your needs. Oh boy, I'm beginning to see why people call Ulysses the most difficult book ever written. And I'm also beginning to see that I'll have to adapt a new structure for the next few episodes. As opposed to past episodes where I've drawn direct connections between Joyce and cinema, I want to use the following episodes to discuss the principle of aesthetics, and I will select a passage from each chapter that demonstrates these principles in a cinematic way. Starting with Oxen, we will look at aesthetic variants, or as Joyce labels it, embryonic development. Simply put, this is when you change your style throughout a given work. In the case of Oxen, this can be seen with Joyce parodying various aesthetics, moving chronologically from style to style, thereby commenting on the evolution of the English language. And as I was writing this episode, I realized that there was a new television show called WandaVision that shares a similar sensibility, structuring itself around the evolution of the TV sitcom. So the first episode was shot like a 50s comedy, the second like a 60s comedy, and so on. I begrudgingly watched this series to see if it would add anything to the conversation, and it didn't in any meaningful way, except to show the dangers of this aesthetic variance, dangers that Joyce and his brilliance avoided. So Oxen of the Sun begins with a Beowulf-esque form of English, with phrases like send us, light one, bright one, whore horn. Then the chapter moves on through like Dickensian English and all the way up to nonsensical vernacular, like the phrase, and I'm probably not saying this correctly, golly, what in tunkets you got in the Macintosh. And in between all of these examples, there are 20 other styles being emulated, all serving to demonstrate the progression of literature through time. So there are pros and cons to this stylistic choice, and the cons are quite notable, because when placing so much emphasis on style, you end up primarily commenting on form, therefore diminishing the importance of the subject being discussed. For instance, in this episode, it should theoretically be very emotional, as it deals with the birth of Mrs. Purefoy's child and centers around really topical matters like the life of the mother versus the life of the fetus, the ethics of childbearing, etc. Unfortunately, Joyce's insistence on embryonic development dampens these emotions, abstracting them, and making the reader focus on how things are being said as opposed to what is being said. Now this is where the pros come in. This insistence on aesthetic over narrative is, to put it bluntly, badass, and Joyce achieves something here that is akin to a meticulous renaissance painting, suggesting, at the end of the day, that style really is the message. The catch, of course, is that you have to have the talent and confidence that Joyce has to pull this off. So what does this mean for film? Well, it means two things. The first is that a message, no matter how important it is, has to be bolstered by a competent aesthetic. And the second idea attacks the concept of the auteur theory, or when a filmmaker's oeuvre shares the same aesthetic, think Kubrick with his use of perspective. Instead, Joyce posits that aesthetic variability is necessary and that one can use a dynamic style just as, if not more effectively, than a concrete style. For filmmaker equivalents, one can see this idea with Scorsese, who changes his aesthetic from movie to movie. But I think this idea should not only apply to an entire filmography, but should also apply to a single work, to some extent, with the style varying from scene to scene, which would therefore make the movie more effective and compelling. So in other words, don't be a filmmaker who confines yourself to long tracking shots and ample dialogue, instead change it up and shift from static camera work in a dialogue scene to dynamic camera work in a battle scene, or vice versa. But I can't emphasize this enough, it needs to make sense. For instance, in this chapter, Joyce uses Old English to talk about ethical topics and the semi-religious phenomenon of birth, and it's really beautiful and dramatic language, something akin to steady camera work on 60mm film. 
And then he moves on to vernacular to describe the drunk men and all of their antics, changing his style and using the equivalent of a shaky cam to convey their drunkenness in short, choppy sentences. In other words, his style more or less fits the subject he's talking about. So while I would love to see filmmakers try to copy this embryonic development idea, I think WandaVision shows the limitations of the aesthetic when it's applied to cinema. The best I can hope for is a willingness for people to experiment outside of their comfort zones, and to take stylistic risks that serve their story. So if you have a movie that shifts from comedic to serious, consider shooting the first half like a screwball comedy from the 1920s and the second half like a courtroom drama. Just an idea, but it actually sounds really compelling, so don't steal it. Thank you for tuning in this week, and we'll be back by the time Buck Mulligan's stomach settles.